Hello and welcome to this installment of AZ Law. I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke. I'm a Phoenix attorney as well. We explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. AZ Law came about to provide Arizona legal news for Sun Sounds of Arizona, the nonprofit reading service for people with disabilities which make it difficult for them to read or hold printed materials. It's broadcast the third Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Other installments available on demand. Our Arizona'sLaw.org website is independent of Sun Sounds, but its prime focus is to support Sun Sounds. Sun Sounds, by the way, is a service of the Rio Salado Community College, along with KJZZ and KBAQ radio stations. Our website has links to those stations and information on how you can become a member of them, and we urge you to do so. By the way, AZ Law is now available for download at our website or wherever you find your podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Music and Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, you name it. I think that if you go to your podcast service and you search Arizona Law, Arizona's Law, or AZ Law, you should be able to find our podcast, subscribe to it, and download it. And with that, let's go ahead and get to the news. And our first article is from the Arizona Mirror, azmirror.com, and it's reported by Jim Small, who happens to be their editor-in-chief. The headline on this, ruling on discriminatory Arizona election laws on hold, likely until after the 2020 election. An appellate court ruling last month that found Arizona laws barring the collection and delivery of early ballots and the state's discarding of ballots cast in the wrong precinct are discriminatory likely will not affect the 2020 elections after that court halted its ruling to give the U.S. Supreme Court time to take up the matter. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on this past Tuesday granted Attorney General Mark Burnovich's request that the ruling be stayed, a legal term for effectively suspending its implementation. Burnovich plans to appeal the appellate court's ruling to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. The appellate court concluded that the ban on collecting voted early ballots was motivated by racism and not by sincere efforts to combat fraud in the elections. The court also ruled that Arizona's practice of throwing out ballots cast in the wrong precinct instead of counting the votes for races in which that voter was eligible to vote is an outlier, and doing so disproportionately affects minority voters. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals gave Brnovich 90 days to file his appeal to the Supreme Court and ordered that the stay on the ruling will remain in place until the high court decides what to do. A decision by the Supreme Court whether to take up a case typically takes several months. If the Supreme Court decides to hear the appeal, it likely would not do so until fall 2020 at the earliest, and a ruling would be issued before the following summer. And that was from Arizona Mirror, ruling on discriminatory Arizona election laws on hold and likely until after the 2020 election. Our next article is from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. The headline is, Arizona Supreme Court to decide if Attorney General needs the governor's okay to file lawsuits. Arizona's high court has agreed to decide whether Attorney General Mark Burnovich needs the permission of Governor Doug Ducey to sue the state's three universities over what Burnovich calls unconstitutional tuition hikes. 
in a brief order, actually it was uh, from uh, minutes from their from their conference, the justices said they want to review a court of appeals ruling that attorneys general can sue only when they have specific legal authority or have been given the go-ahead by the governor. In this case, the appellate judges wrote, there is nothing in statute giving Brnovich such a right. Ducey opposes the legal challenge over tuition and has not agreed to let it go forward. Both of them are Republican elected officials. In some ways, this decision is not a surprise. Brnovich managed to get three former attorneys general to file a legal brief urging the justices to take up the issue. We read that, uh, we wrote we wrote an article a couple weeks ago on that, and actually I think it was four att- former attorneys general. They want the high court to overturn a 1960 ruling that said attorneys general have only limited authority to sue. It was that ruling that the appellate judges relied on in tossing Brnovich out of court last year. Hanging in the balance most immediately is the legality of the tuition rates set at the three state-run universities. Brnovich contends that the sharp hikes of the past decade violate a constitutional provision that requires instruction to be as nearly free as possible. He also argues that the Board of Regents, which approved the rates, relied on extraneous and illegal outside factors to decide how much to charge students, including what state-run universities elsewhere were charging. But Brnovich has been unable to get a judge to hear his evidence, as lower courts concluded that he does not have the legal right to sue. The outcome of the legal fight will have implications far beyond the question of tuition. It ultimately will define whether this governor or any governor can block lawsuits with which he or she disagrees. This is bigger than the tuition lawsuit right now, said Brnovich aide Ryan Anderson. The idea that the attorney general has to go to the governor to get permission to sign off on every piece of litigation, that's just not right, he said. I don't think that Arizonans, when they're electing an independent officer such as the AG, are anticipating an AG that has to go grovel or ask permission for every lawsuit. That's the end of the quote from Anderson. The decision drew a strong response from Larry Penley, chair of the Board of Regents. He lashed out at the attorney general's pursuit of this unnecessary lawsuit and its false narrative, saying it has a negative impact on the people of Arizona. Penley said Brnovich wants virtually unfettered authority to sue whomever and whenever he believes it is in the public interest. The attorney general's effort to so expand his power should be of concern to every citizen in this state, he said in his prepared statement. Governor Ducey's office did not immediately comment, and no date has yet been set for the justices to hear the case, although they have set expedited or simultaneous briefs for early March. And for that was the article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services, Arizona Supreme Court, to decide if Attorney General needs Governor's okay to file the lawsuits. And for a dissenting view, we uh, spoke with Tom Collins, who's the executive director of the Arizona Citizens Clean Elections Commission. Uh, so that's another state agency. He tweeted shortly after the Supreme Court's decision to hear the appeal was announced. And here's what he had to say. As I read the rephrased question from the Supreme Court, it incorporates the question of whether to overrule State Land Department versus McFate. That's the state Supreme Court uh, opinion from many years ago. Under state statute untouched since the 1960s, the state Supreme Court has long held that the attorney general does not have a free standing to sue state agencies. General Brnovich 
uh, former attorneys general Goddard and the other former AGs that filed the brief have called for McFate to be overruled. Other people, like me, believe there is no reason to reverse settled law in the absence of any legislative action. The risk, from my perspective, is that mere policy disagreements may trigger constitutional and other litigation between the AG and state agencies. If that is to be the policy, in my view, the decision is best left to the legislature. The underlying case concerns whether the Arizona region's tuition-setting policies run afoul of the nearly free-as-possible clause of the Constitution. A lower court dismissed the case, and the Court of Appeals affirmed, including a rare lengthy joint concurrence on McFate. The Arizona Constitution states that tuition at the state universities is to be as nearly free as possible. A prior suit framed slightly differently was rejected by the Supreme Court in the aughts in the 2000, early 2000s. So that was the reaction from Tom Collins, who is the executive director of the Arizona, Citizen, Arizona Citizens Clean Elections Commission, CCEC. And a related case is our next article, and this is also from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. Judge orders attorney general to pay $1 million in legal fees to regents. This is from a different case that the attorney general filed against the Arizona Board of Regents, and we'll learn more about this case in this article. Two months after throwing out a lawsuit against the Arizona Board of Regents, the judge who heard the case ordered the state to pay nearly $1 million in the agency's legal fees. In an extensive ruling, Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Christopher Witten rejected arguments by Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who had sued the Regents over what he claimed was an illegal lease deal at Arizona State University, that the hourly fees charged by the attorneys defending the board were too high. The judge said while the hourly rate was above the average for what lawyers in Phoenix charge, the order did not say how much, that by itself does not mean anything. The skill, experience, and background of the defense lawyers in the case was far, far above average, Judge Witten wrote in awarding the $979,758 in legal fees. In fact, he said, they are at or near the top of the bar. The judge was no more impressed by claims by Brnovich that the number of hours billed was excessive, especially for a case that went from initial claim to judgment in less than a year. Witten said the whole idea was to get the case handled in an expedited fashion. It was a sprint, not a marathon, he wrote. As such, it is not surprising that a great number of hours were billed in a short time and by a large team of attorneys. The ruling only exacerbates what has been an often confrontational relationship between Brnovich and the Board of Regents, which operates the three state universities. That was driven home in a press release from ASU crowing about the award of the legal fees. Please let the good people of Arizona know about how their taxpayer dollars are being put to work by the Attorney General for yet another failed lawsuit, wrote ASU spokeswoman Katie Piquet. All that drew a curt response from Brnovich aide Ryan Anderson, who noted that the regents had claimed all along that there was no merit to the lawsuit. You should ask them if this lawsuit was so frivolous, why did they feel the need to spend $1 million on two national law firms to make procedural arguments, he said. And Anderson said this is not the end of the matter. We can now move forward with our appeal of the original ruling, including an appeal of these exorbitant fees, he said. 
At the heart of the battle is the effort by Brnovich to quash a proposal to create a 330-room Omni Hotel and a 30,000-square-foot conference center on land that is owned by ASU. In his lawsuit, Brnovich argued the deal violates the gift clause of the Arizona Constitution. He pointed out that ASU is paying $19.5 million to build the conference center, even though the contract allows the school to use without paying rent just seven days a year. And Brnovich said ASU agreed to pay about $30 million to construct a 1,200-spot parking garage, but will gift Omni 275 of those spots that the hotel gets to use exclusively and keep the revenue from those spaces. And then there's the issue that by having the hotel built on property owned by the university, it escapes having to pay property taxes. The deal does call for some payments in lieu of taxes, as it's called, but Brnovich contends that will still leave schools and local governments short of what they would otherwise have received if the property were on the tax rolls the same as any other commercial development. Witten rejected the contention that property taxes were being illegally avoided, as the land in question being owned by the regents already is exempt from taxes. As to that gift clause argument, the judge never actually ruled one way or the other. He concluded that Brnovich waited too long after he and his attorneys knew about the deal to file the suit. The ruling on legal fees comes as Brnovich is in the midst of another battle with the Board of Regents. This one over the tuition hikes at the state's three universities. We just read about that in the previous articles. The court, and uh, so I'll skip the rest of that article. The judge orders Attorney General to pay $1 million in legal fees to Regents. And that was written by Howard Fisher from Capital Media Services. Well, more legal fees uh, against uh, the state. And here's another article. Five, uh, the, that uh, previous one was from one pocket of the state taxpayers to another pocket of the state taxpayers. But uh, those are private attorneys that were hired by the Arizona Board of Regents that will be receiving that. This next article is from Mary Jo Pitzel of the Arizona Republic. Five years, $7 million in legal fees, and no end in sight. Foster care lawsuit drags on. Here's her article. A five-year legal battle over Arizona's foster care system has cost taxpayers more than $7 million, public records show. And the spending is likely to continue. State child welfare officials have turned to the U.S. Supreme Court in their bid to nullify the lawsuit. Excuse me, the lawsuit's class action status. They have hired former U.S. Solicitor General Paul Clement to make their case before the high court at a cost of $300,000. Meanwhile, attorneys at the local level are preparing for trial possibly later this year. The lawsuit, Tinsley v. Faust, seeks sweeping improvements to the state's foster care system. It alleges that foster children suffer from a chronic lack of resources to tend to their medical, physical, and emotional needs. In their initial filing, the plaintiffs said Arizona's foster care system shocks the conscience as they detailed numerous instances of children who were deprived of services or subjected to lengthy waits for help and suffered as a result. Since then, the case has been accepted as a class action matter, meaning if it is successful, it would apply to all children in the foster system as well as future children. There currently are 13,331 children in the foster care system, according to Department of Child Safety Statistics. 
State officials are contesting the class action designation, which in part explains why the litigation is now entering its sixth year. U.S. District Court Judge Rosalind Silver ruled the case a class action suit, a decision that was upheld last April by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. In December, the state asked the U.S. Supreme Court to review the decision. The high court has not yet responded. Clement's track record fighting class action matters justified his hire, state officials said, as they sought an exemption from the competitive bid process for his contract. Clement served as U.S. Solicitor General during President George W. Bush's second term and has argued nearly 100 cases before the Supreme Court, including class action matters. Mr. Clement's knowledge and experience in the area of federalism and separation of powers has been documented by his representation of six cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, DCS wrote. A key argument the state is making to the Supreme Court is that a class action ruling would usurp local control of the foster care system and subject it to federal oversight. The Arizona Attorney General's office approved the hire for a flat fee of $300,000, which will come out of DCS's budget. Three groups have filed friend-of-the-court briefs in support of the state, a coalition of 13 states, the Secretary's Innovation Group, which consists of Health and Human Services administrators from across the country, and the third amicus brief is from Child Help, Inc. Former DCS Director Greg McKay joined Child Help late last summer. In addition to Clement, taxpayers are covering legal expenses for the five private law firms that represent DCS as well as Access, the state's Medicaid system. Access is involved because it provides the medical, dental, and behavioral health services to foster children. The law firm of Co-Endowed Quigley has been paid $2.6 million to represent DCS since the case began, according to records obtained under the Arizona Public Records Law. Other payments through 2019 include $856,000 to the Elman Law Group and its predecessor firm, Elman Weinswag, for representing DCS, $520,000 to Struck Love Bajanski and Aceto for representing Access, another $368,000 to the Johnston Law Office, also for defending Access, and $1.9 million to handle the myriad documents required as part of the lawsuit's discovery process. DCS paid $778,000 to Terrace Litigation Services and $505,000 to the law firm of Cosmich, Simmons & Brown to organize, redact, produce, and store what DCS says is nearly 1.7 million records. That article from the Arizona Republic's Mary Jo Pitzel, five years and seven million dollars in legal fees and no end in sight, foster care lawsuit drags on. And I believe that is going in front of the U.S. Supreme Court's conference, not oral argument, but the justices conference uh, later this month, I believe. Well, as long as we're reading articles concerning legal fees that the state of Arizona is having to pay out, here's one more. And this is reported by Jacques Below of the Associated Press here in Arizona. The headline is, More Fines Threatened Against Arizona in Prison Suit. A federal judge has threatened to impose a third round of contempt of court fines against the state of Arizona if it does not follow through on promises in a legal settlement to improve health care for its 34,000 prisoners, the Associated Press reported. The state was fined $1.4 million in 2018 amid complaints that it dragged its feet for several years 
In complying with the 2014 settlement that resolved a lawsuit challenging the quality of health care in Arizona's prisons. Nine months ago, Judge Rosalind Silver threatened a second fine that could reach as high as $1.2 million, though that penalty has not yet been imposed. The judge ratcheted up the pressure on the state late last week by giving the state a March 1st deadline to come into compliance or face a $100,000 fine for each violation. Silver also said the fines would recur each month until the state does come into compliance. The judge doesn't say how high the third round of fines could reach, but Kareen Kendrick, a lawyer representing the prisoners, said the state would be fined $2.4 million if it were to be sanctioned based on the latest compliance report. In each round, the per-violation amount of the threatened fines has sharply escalated, starting at $1,000 in 2018, followed by $50,000 in May, and rising to $100,000 last week. The Arizona Department of Corrections, Rehabilitation and Reentry declined to comment on the latest threat of fines. Kendrick said she believes the judge is trying to demonstrate to the state the importance of complying with the settlement. They need to take this seriously and focus on providing health and not litigating everything in the courts, Kendrick said. Silver has been critical of the state's failure to follow through on promises and several months ago ordered lawyers for the state and inmates to decide whether they want to throw out the settlement and instead bring the case to trial. Lawyers for the inmates want to go to trial while the state wants more negotiations. No decision has yet been made on whether or not to throw out the settlement. A week ago, the state lost its appeal of the 2018 ruling that found then-Corrections Director Charles Ryan in civil contempt of court and fined the state $1.4 million for noncompliance. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected the state's claim that the judge who found Ryan in contempt did not have powers available to enforce the settlement because it was a private deal between the state and prisoners and not a court order. Though the state paid the $1.4 million fine, the company that at the time provided health care services within the prisons reimbursed the state for that amount. The settlement arose out of a lawsuit that alleged that the state's prisons did not meet the basic requirements for providing adequate mental and medical mental health care and medical care. It said some prisoners complained that their cancer went undetected or that they were told to pray to be cured after begging for treatment. The state denied allegations that it was providing inadequate care, and the lawsuit was settled without the state acknowledging any wrongdoing. An expert appointed by Silver to examine the method for determining whether the state is making the promised changes concluded that understaffing and inadequate funding are significant barriers in improving health care in Arizona's prisons. And that article was from Jacques Bileau of Associated Press. The headline was, More Fines Threatened Against Arizona in Prison Suit. Well, enough about fines and legal fees against Arizona. Let's move on to this article from the Arizona Star reporter Tony Davis. The headline is, Federal Judge Again Rules Against Rosemont Mine. In his second ruling against the proposed Rosemont Mine, a federal judge found on Monday that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did not adequately protect imperiled species, including the jaguar, from the mine's impacts. U.S. District Judge James Soto ordered the Wildlife Service to redo three parts of its 2016 biological opinion that helped clear the way for final approval of the $1.9 billion mine project in the Santa Rita Mountains southeast of Tucson. 
Also, Soto threw out a related challenge that the mining company had filed seeking to overturn the Wildlife Service's designation of the mine site as Jaguar Critical Habitat. Mine construction has been stopped since July 31st of last year when Soto overturned the Forest Service's final approval of the mine project on other grounds. The latest decision puts additional legal burdens on efforts by the mining company and the federal government, already begun, to overturn Soto's ruling halting mine construction at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The mining company, Hud Bay Minerals, Inc., issued a statement Monday evening saying the ruling came as no surprise given Soto's earlier rulings against the project. It has not yet said if it will appeal this ruling as it has appealed Soto's earlier ruling. While we respect the court's authority to remand the analysis and findings back to the agencies for further review, HUD Bay believes this is unnecessary and remains committed to advancing the project which will benefit the region as a critical economic and employment driver, HUD Bay's statement said. It continued, the Forest Service approved the Rosemont project after more than 11 years of careful review and study by 17 cooperating agencies. End of the statement. Coronado National Forest Supervisor Kerwin Dewberry said a decision on whether to appeal the latest ruling will be made at a higher level than the local forest. The Forest Service and the Wildlife Service were named as defendants in the lawsuit filed under the Endangered Species Act by the Tucson-based Center for Biological Diversity, and that's what led to Monday's ruling. The Wildlife Service declined to comment on the ruling, but Mark Fink, an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity, praised Soto's ruling. This is a wonderful win for the Santa Rita's rare and beautiful animals, including the endangered jaguar, he said. The jaguars and endangered frogs, snakes, and fish that call this place home are too important and vulnerable to be sacrificed for mining company profits. Specifically, Soto found that the Wildlife Service improperly used a heightened standard of review to decide that the mine is not likely to destroy or otherwise illegal, illegally damage jaguar critical habitat. The service used a dictionary definition of likely, finding that there was a high probability of such, such damage, Soto ruled, but past federal regulations said the agency must prove only the damage is probable. On the threatened northern Mexican garter snake, the Wildlife Service improperly failed to determine if the mine would damage its habitat past a tipping point, where it could go extinct or at which recovery is impossible. The mine's groundwater declines will take away both snake habitat and that of its prey, Soto said. On the garter snake and six other imperiled species, the Wildlife Service improperly estimated mine-triggered groundwater declines to predict the amount of quote-unquote take, a legal term for killing, harming, or harassing those species would suffer from the mine. The Wildlife Service predicted a decline of 0.1 foot to 5 feet beneath various water bodies, including Cienega Creek and the Upper Empire Gulch. But the judge said the Forest Service and numerous technical experts concluded that it is impossible to reliably predict groundwater declines at levels less than five feet. The judge also sided with the mine and the Wildlife Service on several other matters, such as he upheld the mining company's plans to buy the Sonoida Creek Ranch in Santa Cruz County and to protect areas of Cienega Creek downstream of the mine site as mitigation measures to compensate for its damages. He ruled that the Wildlife Service and other agencies had considered the impacts of groundwater decline on private wells and of toxic metal contaminants that seep into surface water and groundwater. 
So a couple of little positives for the mining company in his ruling, but they may be appealing because of the overall ruling. And the headline on that was federal judge again rules against the Rosemont mine. It was reported by Tony Davis of the Arizona Daily Star. And with that, we reach the end of this installment of AZ Law. Remember to listen or download our program wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe as well. And since our primary purpose is to support the important services provided by Sun Sounds of Arizona, don't forget to click on the link that we have on our website and go there and donate. We have several plans to grow and improve this program, but hey, your comments and suggestions to make our program better always welcomed, especially since this is a new program. Email me at paul.wyke.azlaw at gmail.com, and wyke is spelled W-E-I-C-H. So with that, I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, thanking you for listening to AZ Law. AZ Law.